Hello folks, my name is Maddie B, and today I figured I would talk about a childhood favorite of mine, Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Or, if you've only seen the movie up until this point, like I have, um, it's called The Secret of Nim. Given how hard the last episode was for me, um, and I'm sure with you guys, I needed a bit of a palate cleanser and I thought why not do another episode talking about books. My last episode about books was friggin the origins of the Little Mermaid so that was a long time ago. It was episode 11 and now it is episode 28 so we both need this. Uh, In this episode I'm gonna be talking about the basic plot of the movie and the book. for those who haven't seen it, because obviously you don't need to see it or um, read it to listen to this episode. Uh, and a brief history of Don Bluth and how his company came to animate this movie, as well as the author of the book and the differences between the movie and the book. However, I have a little bit of a tid, like little bit of a uh, special little thing at the end. Stick around, um, because I'm going to be talking about interesting tidbits that I learned about, um, what happened during the production of this movie, one of which involves a lawsuit. So, stick around for that, and we're going to get into the general plot of the movie and book. Alright, so, the general plot of the movie and the book is this. A family of field mice called the Frisbee family, or in the movie, the Frisbee family, hold on to that for later, uh, live in the garden of a human farmer named Mr. Fitzgibbon and his family. One morning, Mrs. Frisbee checks on her children after going out and fetching some breakfast where she finds that her second youngest, Timothy, hasn't managed to get out of bed. Timothy appears to be very sick, as he has a fever, a cough, is struggling to breathe, and is very weak. Faced with no other option, Mrs. Frisbee must travel across the garden to the home of the medic mouse, Mr. Aegis. This kind of trip practically takes the whole day, as she is very small, and so she sets off immediately. After explaining Timothy's symptoms to Mr. Ages, he gives her some medicine in a packet, telling her to mix it up with Timothy's food. Mr. Ages also tells her that her son should not leave the house for at least two to three weeks, as he has pneumonia and the chill in the air could kill him. Mrs. Frisbee thanks the doctor and then sets to hurry home, Uh, when she spots a young crow uh, tied to something by a silvery string. She asks him why he got all tied up, and the young bird explains that he was building a nest and needs shiny things, because he's a crow. But he got too tangled up, and now he can't fly away. The young bird's name was Jeremy. As Mrs. Frisbee is helping Jeremy get loose, the farmer's cat, Dragon, spots them and starts to stalk his newfound prey. Just in the nick of time, however, Mrs. Frisbee frees Jeremy, and as a thank you, Jeremy flies her back to this uh, cement block of a home in the middle of the garden. 
For the next few days, all is well. Timothy was appearing better now and that he had his medicine, uh, but there was one problem. It was getting warmer, meaning that Farmer Fitzgibbon would want to plow his garden. This would be the day the Frisbees called Moving Day, where they would move to another home on the other side of the farm, away from the plows until it got colder once more, and they would go back to the brick in the garden. Just because it was warm enough for the farmer, uh, warm enough that the farmer could start the plow any day now, however, that did not mean it was safe enough for Timothy to leave the house. It was still too chilly, far too chilly for his fragile little lungs. Even though there seemed to be something going on with the tractor that had stopped the farmer from plowing, Mrs. Frisbee knew that that couldn't last long enough for them to wait for Timothy to get better. Jeremy tells her of the owl that lives in the trees that borders the farm. The owl was known by many birds to be one of the smartest beings in the world, and even though Mrs. Frisbee was a mouse, she was determined to save her son, and so she goes and sees the owl with the help of Jeremy. Where the owl then points to her to the rats um, that live on the road in the road. Oh my goodness, in the rose bush on the property, saying that they will help her move uh, their home on the other side of the stone where the house is next to, keeping them out of harm's way. These rats were not normal rats. They had increased intelligence, strength, and longer lives due to the testing on them by the National Institution of Mental Health, or NIM. Uh, one day, after years of injections and being trapped in cages, the rats had escaped with two others, except these were mice, Jonathan and Mr. Ages. Jonathan was Mr. Frisbee, and that is why the rats wanted to help Mrs. Frisbee. In order for the rats to move the home, they would have to have Dragon asleep the whole time, lest they get caught and eaten which, sadly, is how Mr. Frisbee lost his life. With the help of Mrs. Frisbee, they were able to put, dra put something in Dragon's food to make him loopy enough that he wouldn't be able to chase after them or alert the humans about what was going on in their garden. Luckily, they were able to move the home just in time for moving day, and all was right in the world. So, now that we have the general plot, um, I'm going to go into Don Bluth, and then I'm going to go into the author, and then I'm going to go into the differences between the movie and the book. And then, of course, stick around for interesting tidbits about what was going on the, during the production of the movie, because that was also a long story as well. So, buckle up. Alrighty, so let's get into the story of Don Bluth. So Don Bluth, as I mentioned before, it, it was a past animator of Disney um, and was actually the director, producer, and writer of The Secret of Nim movie. According to the Wikipedia article I found on him before Bluth went and did his own work or even worked at Disney, he was just a little boy who was born in El Paso, Texas. 
but according to a Saber Spark YouTube video, he would shortly move to Utah, uh, where he would ride his horse to the local theater, uh, where he would watch Disney movies, and afterward he is quoted as saying, quote, then I'd go home and copy every Disney comic book I could find. Uh, end quote. And, uh, Snow White was reportedly his favorite and inspired him to become an animator. From there, the Bluth family moved around a bit before, in 1955, his dream had come true. He had become a Disney animator in training and worked on Sleeping Beauty with John, uh, Lonesbury, question mark. Uh, however, two years later, in 1957, Bluth left Disney, stating, um, stating that it was, at least according to the wiki article, kind of boring, end quote. Uh, despite landing his dream job, Bluth was a man of faith, and so he had set off to Argentina to do his mission years. Two years after returning from his mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Argentina, in 1957, Bluth left Disney, stating, like I said, kind of boring. Um, I just realized I copied and pasted that. <laughs> I should do better. So, anyway. And once again, according to the Saber Sparks video I mentioned earlier, he wasn't satisfied with the animation that was coming out of Disney at the time anyway, um, stating that it was like a far cry from what Disney was used to be, um, and that Disney was now cutting corners to save money, which wasn't exactly false. So, he opened a local theater producing musicals like The Sound of Music and The Music Man. After receiving his English degree from uh, Brigham Young University in 1967, Bluth began to work on shows such as The Archie Show, Archie Show and Sabrina the Teenage Witch, the animated version. Four, four years later, in 1971, Bluth would return to Disney for a short stint working on products like... Uh, Working on projects like The Fox and the Hound, which makes sense because I always saw it like that had like a very specific feel to it. Robin Hood and Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2. Um, working on his own animated short with a couple of his Disney colleagues called Banjo and the Woodpile Cat. Um, yeah, that would end up being take uh, that would end up taking them four years to make because it was all done out of Booth's garage. So after Winnie the Pooh and Tigger 2, he had started working on its own animated short from his garage called Banjo and the Woodpile Cat. Um, this would end up taking the four years um, and would be released the year he left Disney. It was on his 42nd birthday that in 1979, he and 17 others left Disney and founded Don Bluth Productions due to creative differences between them and Disney executives. He would then release his first ever full-length film called The Secret of Nim in 1982, which was actually which would be closely followed with uh, titles such as An American Tale in 1986. Um, the American Tale movie was actually made with the help of Steven Spielberg and a few other studios. This movie did incredibly well in the box office, reportedly making over $47 million in the US and was one of the not like 
the top non-Disney animated movie for a long time. Um, so yeah, did incredibly well, beating out Disney's own mouse-themed movie, The Great Mouse Detective. In between these two movies, uh, this production also animated two video games, uh, Dragon's Lair, which can, you can actually find, you can actually see in season two of Stranger Things, funnily enough, and Space Ace in 18, or not 18, 1983. Also, one thing that I would like to say about The Secret of Nim, Disney was actually offered the uh, script and stuff before they were offered this movie, but they had turned it down, and so Bluth was like, they turned this one down, so this one should be our first priority, and my goodness, didn't it work? So, they also re released The Land Before Time in 1988, only the first one, as the others were made by Universal Pictures. This is yet another Spielberg-Bluth combo. This movie was released um, on the same day as Disney's Oliver and Company. Talk about having big cojones. Uh, luckily enough for Bluth and his team, they beat Disney yet again. After this, however, the two studios would go their separate ways. I mean, like Spielberg and Bluth. As Spielberg would form a studio called Amblimation, which is what made the sequel to American Tale, um, American Tale Fievel Goes West. Um, this was followed by All Dogs Go to Heaven in 1989 and is considered to be the last of Bluth's Renaissance era because this movie was released the same day as The Little Mermaid. Um, buddy, why are you doing that? Like, don't do that. Like, that worked before, but not for The Little Mermaid because as you know, that's the start of Disney's Renaissance era. So compare these two and you got yourself some slim pickings on Bluth's side of things. I will say, however, that this was one of the, like, most bought VHS animated movies. So it didn't do well box office wise, but afterwards, which I'm like, yeah, cause your kids, I'm sorry, but your kids probably gonna wanna go see a movie about a singing half fish person. And then um, dogs dying and scamming a little girl. Yeah, have you? Because I, I used to look at that movie fondly. Because I was like, ooh, doggies. I, I recently rewatched it. There's like a dog stripper in the first like five minutes. Like they're drinking beer. Like it's a whole thing, y'all. Um, but if you'll notice, Disney is still top dog. And Don Thuth Productions, as well as his many others, because he kept going bankrupt um seems to be something of the past why once again according to that saber sparks video i keep mentioning he brings up six key points booth's pride reputation the fact that he was a major control freak and the shift in tone which ultimately led to money issues and the end of don bluth and with box office failures like um Pebble and a Penguin, Thumbelina, and a Troll in New York. So, that is the end of Don Bluth. And now, this is going to be even shorter because um, the freaking author died, like, 
real early. So, I have very little information. I literally, guys, I could find the Wikipedia article and one six minute YouTube video that some like student did in 2011. Those were the only sources and like a Britannica encyclopedia for kids article. Three, <laughs> three sources <laughs> is all I got for this man. Um, but I'm gonna milk them for all they're worth. So let's dive right in. All right, so let's get into the author of this masterpiece. So Robert C. O'Brien, or rather Robert Leslie Carroll Conley, cause you know, old names, you gotta have those friggin' four names, uh, was the first, um, as the first name was his pen name. So Robert C. O'Brien was his pen name. Um, and he's known mostly for that is the author of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Um, Conley was born in Brooklyn, New York in 1918, um, and he was actually the third out of five children in his wealthy Irish Catholic family. Um, due to his interest in literature, he tried to go to school at Williams College, but two years in, he went through what he referred to as a, quote, breakdown maybe mental, I'm not quite sure. He just referred to it as a breakdown. Um, he went back to his family, studying briefly at Juilliard um, because he wanted to become a pianist, but eventually he left as well um, before receiving a Bachelor of Arts in English at the University of Rochester in 1940. Right, you'll understand why there's not much about him. He was born in 1980 or 1918, and he dies in the 70s. So there's not much about him that I could find on the internet. Um, but before becoming an author, Conley was actually a journalist working with newspapers like newspaper, like news newspaper, literally, or Newsweek, sorry, <laughs> and Washington Times Herald. Uh, in 1951, he was a journalist for the National Geographic. Then, in 1970, he became a senior assistant editor there until his death in 1973. In in 1953, according to the YouTube video I found, Conley had bought a small farm near Washington, D.C., living there with his wife and kids. The, um, these experiences are said to be why his books feel so lifelike and in tune with nature because he, he was a farmer for so long, you know? But sadly, in 1963, Conley developed glaucoma, and so they had to move closer to his office because he couldn't drive anymore. Um, due to the reduced commute, however, he took the time and actually started to write fiction books. So he had to actually change his published, like, publishing name due to National Geographic forbidding him from publishing with any other company, right? Um, a sort of contract 
so he took up another name. Uh, it was actually his mother's maiden name. Um, from there, he wrote The Silver Crown in 1968, and then he wrote Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim, arguably his most popular work in 1971, which actually received the 1972 New, uh, Newbery Medal. Uh, while he is known for his children's books, Conley also wrote a few uh, adult fiction novels as well, um, called one of them being a, a report from Group 17, which was released in 1972 and was actually chosen um, to be part of the Book of the Month Club. And then there's a Z for Zachariah, which was actually published after his death in 1974, which received an Edgar Award for the best juvenile mystery. Um, I mentioned this kind of before, but Conley married a woman named Sally uh, McCaslin in 1943. Uh, They had three daughters and one son. Again, according to the YouTube video I found by Angela Lee Duncan, he also had a dog and a cat. The dog's name was Nathan Lane, and the cat's name was Josiah Robertson. Uh, Conley apparently liked to name his animals as if they were humans because he wanted his pets to feel like they were his children and part of the family, which I'm like, oh my god, my heart. Um, He sadly died of a heart attack in 1973, um, but their marriage did last until then, so 30 strong years. Um, Miss Conley actually wrote under the name Sally O'Brien to match her husband. She wrote a section about her husband in the uh, Horn Book magazine entitled About Robert C. O'Brien in 1972, and in the fourth journal of junior authors and illustrators, uh, she wrote a section called uh, Biographical Sketch of Robert Leslie Conley in 1978. One of his children, at least according to the Britannica article I found, as well as the YouTube video, uh, named Jane Leslie Conley, was actually also a writer, and her specialty was writing children's books. And so in order to keep her father's memory alive, she would continue to write two sequels to her father's book of Mrs. Frisbee and the Rats of Nim. Right, so like I said, this one's very short because I just couldn't find anything. Like the YouTube video I found was is over a decade old um, and I could only find a Wikipedia article. It doesn't help that uh, if you look up Robert C. O'Brien right now or Robert, you know, Robert Leslie Conley, um, you get that one senator that's currently, you know, everywhere. So... This is probably the worst time for me to do <laughs> um, an episode about him. But yeah, so there's just a little bit about that. And now I'm going to go into um, the significant changes between the book and the movie. Freaking buckle up for this one. Because while I like the movie, I read the book much better, as always. Um, yeah, so let's get into that. So, in regards to the changing of Mrs. Frisbee's name, Dawn the Productions had to change her name uh, to avoid lawsuits from the Waymo company, which made Frisbees. 
Uh, sadly, this change was made late in the movie's production. This, so the sound editors had to go in and, by hand, had to splice together BR, so bruh, in front of her name for the use of, from the use of like other words that the actor or actress was saying in regards to Mrs. Frisbee, which as I kind of like, it kind of had to be done. Otherwise, you know, they would have, um, they were barely staying afloat and they would have, you know, they couldn't afford a lawsuit. So that makes sense. Uh, that they had to do that, but I feel so bad for those sound editors having to go in by hand and freaking do all that. But according to an article by Uncanny Magazine, Bluth actually got a multi, like, got multi-plane cameras, making it look as though the drawings moved within the camera frame, which is why the movie feels like it isn't jagged, like, this frame and then this frame kind of deal, like, the transitions are more seamless, like, the camera is moving like it does in, like, one take in uh non-animated movies you know so it's more seamless than anything else uh he also used backlit color gels making things look like they were actually growing which if you are not growing glowing which if you've seen the movie you know it works i mean look at nicodemus's eyes look at um the owl's eyes like stuff like that or even like just like the magic that was used in the movie like they did a really good job the only problem was all this light meant lots and lots of shadows, which means lots of painstaking work for the animators. They had to individually draw the shadows of each individual character, even working with their own light effects in the studio to make sure it went perfectly. Um, on top of this, Bluth even added a split exposure like um, filter which created a more like translucent and shadowy feel to the movie, which is why if you watched the movie growing up, you were kind of terrified, which I definitely was. Um, this incessant need for something new on Bluth's part is why they, they had to ple tweak the plot so much because, and like the character designs and everything, because there was no reason for all these cool new tricks um to go into a movie with a simple a plot is this one and so the writers simply made it less simple by adding a touch of magic and a touch of whimsy uh for the music they ended up getting jerry goldsmith and i actually listened to the soundtrack while i wrote my notes because of course i did i'm a fucking nerd i think that's the first time i cussed this episode but i'm a nerd so it's literally gorgeous anyway as amazing as this movie did, like I said, with over like 1.4 million dollars in the box office, this movie wouldn't even be on Goldsmith's top charts because he um, did movies like Star Trek and Aliens and um, like all of the Star Trek films and Planet of the Apes and Chinatown and The Omen and The Boys from Brazil and like all of these freaking movies. So it wasn't even on his top charts for like a best um, soundtrack. Um, and it wasn't even on his top charts for animated movies either. That would be Disney's Mulan that would come out like freaking years later. So. Yeah, with that, that is the end of today's episode. Stick around for the conclusion. 
um, if you want, if not, cool, whatever, do what you gotta do, but, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed this little break, I certainly did, and I will be going into Easter next week, because, oh my god, I realized Easter is next week, just right now, and I was like, I need to do something for that, so, yeah, anyway, stick around. So that is it, folks. This is the end of the episode of There's Too Much to Think, episode 28, books, book versus movie, The Secret of Nim. I hope you enjoyed. Um, just so y'all know, this episode was once again um, edited by my partner, uh, Melotonin on YouTube. I will put him down below in the show notes, as well as my other sources. And I finally have a social media for this podcast, so please go check out There's Too Much To Think Pod on Instagram. I will also have that in the show notes as well. Um, Please like, comment, review, do whatever you gotta do wherever you're listening to this. Um, Share it with your friends, share it on your Instagrams, do like anything, leave a review. Um, if you're on Apple Podcasts, that helps so much. Um, and just things like that. Like, please just share this with people. Um, I will say that since I've gotten the Instagram, I've had a lot more engagement. So that is one thing that I'm very happy about. But, uh, yeah, with that, that is the end of this episode. And let me know if there's like anything uh another book versus movie you want me to do like if you want this to be a monthly thing or whatnot like just dm me on instagram um and i'll see what i can do uh if you guys have any suggestions on which ones i should do next again comment or review it or whatever and i'll see it so anyway bye